As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome in to the Monday, April 18th edition of the Daily Face-Off Show. Tyler Yaramchuk and Frank Saravalli with you coming off an Easter weekend where, Frank, what was in your basket? Candy, Sour Patch Kids, lots of them. I'm a big gummy candy guy. Yeah, I love that. Um, my basket was full of nothing because I was on my way home from Nashville. But I can tell you this, the Florida Panthers, they filled up their basket with a lot of goals over the weekend. And that's where we'll start. Let's start two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and dig into what is becoming a historic season for the Florida Panthers. Two six one wins over the weekend. That brings them up to 4.19 goals per game. That's 0.32 goals per game ahead of second place in the NHL, which belongs to the Colorado Avalanche. It also puts them really close to that plus 100 mark in terms of their goal differential. Only two teams in the salary cap era have ever hit that plus 100 goal differential mark. It was the Lightning in 1819 and the Ottawa Senators way back in 05-06. This is a Panthers team, Frank, that when you think they're going to slow down, they just absolutely do not. It's been a season full of dominance for the Cats. It's a historic offensive season as well, or at least it's on the brink of that if you take a look at this board as well. And that is the Florida Panthers are on the verge of setting the NHL salary cap era record for goals in a single season. You see the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the best regular season teams of all time. Uh, 319 goals back in 2018-19. Didn't get them a lot, Tyler, because they ended up being swept in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. But the Florida Panthers are just six goals away from setting that salary cap era record. Uh, With all the goal scoring that took place in the 80s, there's a lot of teams that have hit 400. But still, in this era, this day and age, To be north of four goals a game is absolutely ridiculous. And you take a look at the Florida Panthers and their players this season, 11 or 12 of them have set new career highs or at least tied career highs in goals, assists, and or points. Jonathan Huberto is squarely in the Art Ross trophy race as we enter the final two weeks of the regular season. It's been a crazy year for the Florida Panthers. 
Yeah, it's been insane. And you, you talked about those guys setting career highs. The new guy, Claude Giroux, who comes in and just fits into this lineup like a glove in the way he's able to produce. And even, I mean, 16 points in 13 games since joining the Panthers. It's been no doubt he's been an impact piece for them. And then the other thing I love is you just find those random guys around the lineup who are finding ways to produce. A guy like Gustav Forsling in this 10-game winning streak for the Panthers, he's got seven goals, Frank. Like, I, I couldn't even tell you if Gustav Forsling has scored seven goals in his entire career but he's done it in this 10 game stretch he's also one of the highest scoring three on three players in the nhl this year like the fact that they have their big guns just rolling then like you said a bunch of guys just having career years it's insane for the panthers and they'll look to avoid the fate that that high scoring tampa team in 18 19 did when it gets to the playoffs yeah i have a feeling they'll be in better shape it's all going to come down to the matchup though i think that's why it's so key to keep an eye on the standings the washington capitals who we'll talk about in just a bit with samantha pell they've got a lot to play for over this last stretch here to try and avoid the florida Panthers, who seem like an absolute buzzsaw in the first round yeah absolutely and that that kind of ties into our next topic here is we're almost a month post trade deadline here and i think it's a fair point to kind of look back on what some teams did and didn't do and see if maybe some GMs or some teams around the league are regretting their approach at the trade deadline. When I first thought of this, I, I went, okay, Carolina, they were running away with the Metro at one point. They added only Max Domi, a small move at the deadline. And then you sit there and the Rangers heat up. Carolina slows down and you think, ah, should, should Carolina maybe have added a little bit more? I think you could think the same of a team like the Washington Capitals as well, who looked like they were squarely locked into that eight seed and weren't moving. Well, now they get hot. They have a chance to get an easier first round opponent and avoid the Florida Panthers. And you go, ah, should the Caps maybe have done a little bit more than they did out West? I look at a team like L.A., who, again, looked like they were squarely in a playoff spot at the deadline. Didn't make moves. Sat still. Yeah, well, now Doughty's done for the regular season. I know you couldn't have really seen that coming, but I think you'd sit there. If I'm an L.A. Kings fan, I'm probably going, why didn't we do something? Why didn't we give up a mid-round pick to get some sort of insurance on the back end or give up a mid-round pick? for a little bit more depth up front or something like that. Uh, when when you think of teams that could maybe be regretting what happened a month ago on deadline day, Frank, is there anyone that comes to the top of your mind? Maybe the LA Kings a little bit, and not from an injury sense, but also just from a, you look at some of the players that may have been available on deadline day specifically that had some term on their contracts, and you say, well, this is a team that's clearly building in the right direction. There was a fantastic tweet out from over the weekend. I forget who sent it, but it was basically like if you looked at the bottom 10 teams in the league right before the pandemic and then now a few years later, it's almost the same group of 10 teams. The Kings are one of the few exceptions that have been building in the right direction. Could they have added someone that could have helped them now and also helped them later? I think the prices were really high. I don't really feel like... You know, if you're Don Waddell and you're the general manager of the Canes or you're um, Brian McClellan or you're, you're the manager of the Capitals, that you're sitting here saying, man, I wish I did more. I look at the Hurricanes and I was saying they're kind of cap strapped. They weren't in a position really to find true difference makers on the market. They have a team that has some depth. They have a team that clearly likes being around each other and had been rolling almost all season long. And then they got Max Domi essentially for free. Uh, that was a 2.59 p.m. deal before the deadline that, uh, you know, Domi's been fine, but he didn't need to be all world considering that you gave up literally next to nothing to get him. For the Washington Capitals, they were a team that had struggled really since Thanksgiving. They didn't seem like a team that deserved to really add. Now they've found their game again, and they've been one of the hottest teams in the league since March 1st. 
But I don't know that you're sitting here saying, well, you know, maybe they should have done a lot more because you looked at the East and you see Tampa and Florida and Toronto and Boston, all these other teams that just seem to be a few steps or a few pegs above Washington as true cup contenders that I'm saying, I don't know that you're sitting here, you know, hindsight is always 2020. You're not probably in the yeah. moment saying, man, this team should have done a lot more. And that's fair. We'll have more on the Capitals coming up in a new edition of the All 32 in a few minutes. Something we're going to be doing all week here, Frank. It's kind of like awards week here on the Daily Faceoff show, breaking down the individual races. And today we're going to start with the Calder Trophy, where Moritz Sider really does appear to be the clear favorite for this award coming in. He's minus 250 on the sportsbooks. You can see the fact that he's a D-man and he's in this top five for scoring is just wildly impressive. He's averaging 23 minutes a night, 47 points in 76 games is great. Is is Cider a guy who uh, you think deserves to be, at least when you look at the odds boards, that sort of top leader, Frank? He is for me. I mean, his season has been unbelievable. It's not just the point production. It's also the minutes. It's also the tenacity in his game. I love guys that try and lay a hit on on Marit Sider as he has the puck. Like it's, it's a thundering shoulder that you get from him in return. And so, you know, the confidence in which he stepped into the NHL, I can't help but commend the Detroit Red Wings for their development path and the fact that they were patient with him, uh, that they've continued to build things the right way. And the really tough part of this ballot, Tyler, I think is going to be on the bottom end of it. I think those guys that we saw listed on the screen have all sort of uh, help separate themselves from the pack. You've got Cider and Bunting, Zegris, Raymond. The big thing after that is who's going to fill out sort of the bottom part of your bracket. And I know a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, I, I want to make sure that these get, guys get the proper recognition that they deserve. And it's going to be really difficult to choose for that, you know, sort of fourth, fifth spot between Tanner Janot and Anton Lindell. Lindell has had an unbelievable year with the Florida Panthers, a couple uh, goals away from 20, but he's also been a defensive stalwart and has picked up some incredible assignments. It feels like a little Patrice Bergeron in the making in terms of what he's been able to do defensively as a rookie. And Janot, we, we've had him on the DFO Rundown podcast, uh, 24 goals this season. His path to the NHL has been unbelievable, and he's been a true impact player and difference maker for a playoff team, the National Predators. A lot of good choices uh, maybe not necessarily a generational talent in this Calder Trophy conversation, but still some interesting decisions nonetheless. For me, I'd give a little bit of love to a guy like Jeremy Swayman, and for a handful of reasons. One, he's been great for the Boston Bruins between the pipes. But when you think about how challenging a rookie season is mentally on these guys, think of what Jeremy Swayman's gone through. I mean, plays great early in the year. The Tuka Rask thing is lingering. It happens. He's sent down. Tukaras experiment fails like I think that says a lot about kind of how Swayman's built as a guy who could maybe be a number one yeah I, I'm with you I see it um I don't know you could you could make a really good argument for him yeah. as well it's a really fair point uh, let's move on here to another thing we're going to be doing throughout the next couple of weeks. While, yes, a lot of teams are focused on the push for the playoffs, there are a lot of teams who will not be in the postseason. This is down and out. And we're going to start with the Arizona Coyotes, who it has not been a good year in Arizona. No one's going to pretend that it is. 22, 48, and 5. You remember that awful start. And I remember us fielding questions of like, are they even going to win 10 games? Are they going to win 15 games? And now they did go on a couple of nice runs throughout the season here, but Again, with Arizona, there was the lingering story of the arena thing and eventually getting the deal with ASU and moving to a 5,000 seat rink. 
When you look at this season from Arizona, both on and off the ice, Frank, are there, as the bottom says, any signs of life in the desert, any building blocks put in place for them this year, or was this just a bad year all around? Well, I mean, no doubt it was a bad year. You talked about the Florida Panthers and getting to a plus 100 goal differential. Take a look at that. Minus 104 for the Arizona Coyotes. But if you're going to find a positive, for me, it's Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz. And, you know, I think Schmaltz has sort of had a little bit of a roller coaster. Keller as well. I think a lot of people were wondering, that contract that John Chica gave Clayton Keller, it, it didn't look very good. And now all of a sudden, you know, Keller has found his game again. You know, he represented the Coyotes at All-Star Weekend and created a little bit of buzz. And, you know, he just got back to that level where he was a game-breaking player again, someone that you look towards and, and looked forward to watching. And you couldn't say that about Clayton Keller or really a lot of guys on the Arizona Coyotes heading into the season. I don't think, you know, people would be paying much attention to Keller, you know, kind of yawn at this point and say, you know, what exactly is this player? And Schmaltz found some consistency as well. I think a 20 goal season from Lawson Krause has been a positive development. Um, the real positive part for the Arizona Coyotes is on the draft board. I mean, you take a look at the picks that they have, what they have coming. If they hit on a certain percentage of their draft picks, and uh, right on cue, Alex Allard, our technical producer, has it teed up for us. Three first-round picks, four second-round picks, one third-round pick. I mean, that's you know eight picks in the first 96 or so of the draft. That is pretty impressive and could go a long way, and not just in terms of drafting players in those spots, but potentially flexing your muscles on some of that capital as well, Tyler, to take it and say, you know what, maybe we can find another player that could be a building block for this team if we package a couple of these picks together. Or maybe later down the line, if you draft well enough, you can take some of those prospects. They won't have room for all these guys on the roster at a certain point, kind of what the Ottawa Senators are going to be running into soon. I think there are signs of life. They're just kind of, you know, way off in the horizon in the distance that you got to really search to find them. Yeah. And I, and I like that point as well. Like I was even looking at their upcoming UFAs and RFAs, like it could be a busy summer in Arizona. And I look at these guys like, yeah, you're going to obviously look to bring back a guy like Lawson Krause, maybe on that right side of the UFAs, you look to bring back a few of the vets to create a bit of a culture of familiarity. But then I also thought, are they really going to use their cap space? Are they going to try to build any sort of a team that could be better than the team this year with a guy like Connor Bedard looming in that 2023 draft? I don't think so. Yeah, it uh, it might not be an interesting 12 months here in I, Arizona. I would burn it down. I would just th do exactly what they're doing. I know you need vets. Bring in all 20-something guys, early 20s, on the campus at Arizona State, you know, make it fun. Make it fun to watch. If your team's going to be bad, at least make it young. Yeah, and but I actually, I like that line of thinking. I, I'd imagine, too, though, that you're going to have to probably take a few contracts back in some salary dumps if you'd like to continue uh, trending in the right direction in terms of draft picks. I mean, look at some of the guys that have been in their lineup all year. Andrew Ladd, Louis Erickson, uh, Jay Beagle, the, Nick Ritchie was the salary dump out of Toronto. Like these have all been guys that were like, Hey, you know, how can we find a way to get more draft capital? You know, put a sale, put a sign up out there. We're open for business. I'm sure Bill Armstrong is doing that this summer. Again, give us all your bad contracts and we'll, uh, we'll make you pay for them too. 
Let's move along and dig in a little deeper to a team that is absolutely going to be playing in the playoffs, and that's the Washington Capitals. This will be another edition of the All-32. Always a pleasure to be joined by Samantha Pell from the Washington Post for another edition of the All 32 delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. And Samantha, I want to start here. The Washington Capitals, they looked supremely average for about a two and a half month stretch in the middle of the season. But now they've found a way to get hot. What's changed with the Caps? I mean, really, I think it was just kind of that four game winning streak when you look at it. And overall, it was actually really, really good goaltending. It was strong wins. It was the offense finally clicking. It really felt like maybe at times like during that up and down stretch that there was just really no chemistry. It felt like maybe the effort was lacking at times. The execution wasn't there. The defense was struggling. And, you know, even right now, you could probably still say the defense with the Capitals is not all the way there. It's something they still need to work on. But it just kind of felt like the team played together. They held a really big player meeting um, after kind of, I think it was a couple weeks ago when they just kind of talk things through right after that, they go on this four game win streak and things start to be picking up. Now they're, you know, obviously in the conversation of can they kind of leapfrog the penguins there for the third spot. So things just started to click still a lot, a lot to work on, but things are going in the right direction. Samantha, what's the eye test been like for Alex Ovechkin and has he been passing it these last number of weeks? You take a look at his numbers. He's on one of those Ovechkin-like runs again, 15 goals in the last 20 games, nearing 50 again for the ninth time in his career. What, what was missing from his game and what has he found over these last 20 games or so? Yeah, I really just think, you know, Ovechkin's game has really kind of been a product of the team's game. Honestly, you know, sometimes Alex can kind of do it himself, right? And he can kind of will the team to win. He can score a couple goals and push them ahead. But he really does need the help of, you know, some of his top guys with Evgeny Kuznetsov and Nicholas Backstrom and the Tom Wilsons of the world and trying to make it all click and come together. And as the team has kind of gotten better and gotten out of their up and down stretch, so is Alex. And I think for him, you know, he's always motivated to score goals. He's, like you said, about to reach 50 again so I think for him it's just all about that motivation and the effort but he can't do it all himself when you look at who they could potentially line up against in the first round and I mean obviously no one wants to play the Florida Panthers considering how strong they're looking right now but they could move into that spot and get a matchup against either the Hurricanes or the Rangers is there one of those two teams that maybe they've played better than the other this season I mean, Carolina, they've actually been pretty impressive with this season. You know, I believe that they won that series three to one this year. And so for them, I think they do match up well against Carolina. It's always really tough, you know, physical games, both teams going back and forth goals, obviously uh, back and forth for both teams. I think the Rangers would be kind of one of those low scoring chippy games that I'm really not sure if the Capitals really want. Um, obviously, they have Igor and Net, and that could be causing a lot of problems for them as well. So, I mean, like you said, no one really wants to face Florida. That's going to be a bad and forth run and gun you know just up and down game and you know who knows uh with especially with these capitals goalies they really don't have a true number one right now and that's probably the major major issue going into the postseason sam am i going out on a limb to say that anthony mantha has been a catalyst for this team 
No, I, I think Anthony Mantha has been great. And I think especially right after, you know, coming back from that shoulder surgery, he was basically another trade deadline addition for the Capitals. When you look at it, he came back at a perfect time. He went right into that lineup. He adds the speed, the physicality that I think the Capitals really needed at that time. And he just scored two goals the other night in Montreal. He seems to be really working on a line with Lars Eller and Tom Wilson. And I feel like he's going to be one of those guys headed into the playoffs that the Capitals have been missing. And maybe he'll be the guy that kind of gets them out of this first round playoff rut. Samantha Pell from the Washington Post. Fantastic insight as always. This has been another edition of the All 32 delivered by our friends at DoorDash. You see the promo codes bottom of the screen, DFODD and DFODDUS. 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order with those two. Samantha, enjoy the road trip for the Caps and we'll chat again soon. Thanks, guys. Moving along to our daily face-off inbox question here on the daily face-off show. And we talked a little bit about Anton Lindell. We've talked a lot of Florida Panthers so far in this show. So it feels fitting to bring up this goal that the Panthers scored over the weekend and also the fantastic call from the Finnish broadcast. Uh, I mean, the question's going to be one word to describe that call on a beautiful goal by the Panthers. Yeah, the answer is hilarious because I connected with my friend who made the call. His name is Antti Makinen, and he uh, works for Viasat over there in Finland. And he said, I said, well, what exactly were you saying? This is me actually with Antti. Uh, I hopped on Finnish TV during the uh, Stanley Cup final in Boston against St. Louis back in 2019. And so I text my good buddy this morning after hearing the call. And I said, well, what exactly were you saying? Tell us why you were laughing. And he said, in Finnish, he said, this is not to be seen by children. That drop pass was so dirty by Barkov. So uh, you look at it, just a, a hilarious moment uh, and fantastic call, too. So uh, looking forward to catching up with Antti when he comes over to uh, over to North America for the Stanley Cup final again this year. Uh, great call by a great guy, one of the hardest working guys in hockey, Tyler. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of nights throughout the season, games being played, you know, 7 Eastern, even some of the late games. It's the middle of the night in Finland. He's calling the games off of a monitor uh, in the studio there. So uh, certainly his love of the NHL shines through in his calls. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, my word is just going to be simply fitting because no matter what language you speak, you know that goal was absolutely nasty. And I don't speak a lick of Finnish, but I know that call was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the laughing in the background, that just that gets me every time. Um, let's move along to our daily best bets segment, courtesy of our friends over at Points bet and on Friday, it was a good night for me. Brock Nelson assist, Islanders win in regulation up 2.8 units. So it was a pretty decent week. We'll look to keep it rolling here. Only two weeks left in the regular season. So I'm certainly looking to go on a bit of a run. And I'm going to start with a little parlay action here with the Carolina Hurricanes over at uh, or, uh, Canes and 
Flames parlay is what I'm going with tonight, starting with the Hurricanes in regulation. I Listen, I just love this matchup. The Coyotes got absolutely stomped by the Flames earlier. Carolina, they're coming off two losses, so it's a little bit of a get-right spot here for them. But Arizona's lost six in a row. I, I just don't think they're going to be that competitive here. And the Canes, like we just talked about earlier, they have something to play for. Like They're trying to get that division title, and you can't let two points slip against the Yotes. So I think the Canes are going to be hungry. I also think the Flames taking on the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be hungry. Chicago has one win in their last 10. Flames aren't taking their foot off the gas. They dominated Arizona. So that parlay pays out plus 123. And I'm going to dig into that Calgary matchup a little bit more and go with an Elias Lindholm assist as my player prop. He picked up three of them the other night as the Flames, again, stomped the Arizona Coyotes. He's hit this in two of his last three. He hasn't been necessarily an assist machine all year, but that Flames top line has been unbelievable. And you can see the odds here. Kachuk minus 105, Goudreau minus 160. So the best payout for that trio is going with Lindholm, and they're taking on a Hawks team that's allowed 21 goals against in their last five games. So I think Calgary will be able to get the offense going. I think it's Kevin Lankinen starting for the Hawks tonight. And I think Lindholm at plus 25, that's a dart I'm willing to throw at the board here, considering the payout and the matchup for the Flames, Frank. Love a good dart at the board reference. Uh, inspired by your confidence as well, referring to it as darts. Uh, let's wrap up the show with a little bit of garbage time here. Frank, what do you got for us? Well, there was a lot of birds flying around this weekend, and I'm not talking about outside of mass after Easter. Uh, Kyrie Irving and the Boston fans, certainly uh, no love lost there. And you thought, think back to last week, Ryan Hartman giving uh, Evander Kane a bird. He ended up getting fined by the NHL's Department of Player Safety. Uh, that ends up being a fine for unsportsmanlike conduct. And what flowed into his Venmo account after that was entirely unexpected. Wild fans, and this is a fantastic tweet uh, by Soda Stick Company saying that Ryan Hartman has been added to the Minnesota Wildlife Foundation common bird list. You see that well represented there. This fine was uh, $4,200 and change, the maximum allowed under the CBA. And Wild fans started someone found his Venmo address somewhere and they started sending money to his account unprompted in order to try and pay the fine. They actually got a contribution from Evander Kane's estranged ex-wife, Anna Kane as well, which a lot of people found to be funny. But in this case, uh, Ryan Hartman ended up paying the fine out of his own personal dollars and took the rest of the money and donated to Minnesota Children's Hospital. More than $7,000 piled in. You know, hate to see uh, that type of conduct. These guys are supposed to be role models. And look, emotions get the best of everyone now and again. Just keep your arms down. Keep your hands down. Kyrie Irving, there's no reason to be flipping the bird at Boston fans. We know you don't like them. You know, come on. Ha have a little class. Show some professionalism. And so uh, lots of birds flying around. But at least in this case, love that Ryan Hartman was able to make something good out of it. I, I always get a kick out of fan bases being like, oh, we got to pay this guy's fine. Like, yes, a hand, a collection of everyday people, hardworking jobs need to pay the fines for like, and again, a small fine for these guys who make a ton of money. And I, I, I know it always ends up just being a charity initiative, which is all cool. But I always get a chuckle out of the first few fans who are like, we got to pay this guy's fine to show him our love. It's weird. Well, but the best part is. They were all sort of paid in, in hardworking donations. There were hundreds of like $5 and $3 and $2 donations that all of a sudden add up to something big. So it also kind of speaks to the power of the human people. 
I will not flip you a bird, Frank, but I'll flip you a wave goodbye and wrap up another edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. We'll be back tomorrow. We will be back all week. Until then, keep it locked on Daily Faceoff, and we will chat again for Tuesday's show. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.